Who you are is greater than what you do. And again, the goal of this is everybody here is to some extent a spiritual leader. You are encouraging other people through the discipling process. But these next two sessions really aren't going to have anything to do with other people. So that's what I mean by what you do. I mean, before we even get to what do you do as a spiritual leader, the foundation for that is who are you? Because until you're a certain kind of person, you're not going to be able to do the things that you need to do. And so I want you to take your Bibles with me and let's open up to 1 Timothy. And let's just start, for instance, in chapter 3. Because what you're going to see here in chapter 3, just to kind of fly over it, I mean, even if you have the English Standard Version, it gives you the heading. Verse, over verse 1, it's the qualifications for overseers. And biblically, there are two kind of offices of leader in the church. The, the first one Sometimes you see the word overseer or elder or even, you know, and bishop, although that's not a word that we really use in our culture as much, or pastor. That's all referring to that office. And then verse 8, it talks about deacons, uh, servants, right? Uh, kind of another office within the church. And what we see here, these are the qualifications. Who, who should be uh, a pastor or an elder, who should be a deacon? And what I just want you to note and to observe is it's a long list of basically, this is the kind of person that that, that that elder needs to be. This is the kind of person that that deacon should be. It's not, you know, uh, well, do they have this skill? Do they have that skill? Do, what about this thing? It's really, what is their character? That that's what dominates this just these, these lists. It's what kind of person should this be? And character is the goal. If you look there in chapter three, verse one, it says the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. Uh, that's kind of an important term that then covers the rest of this list, uh, right? But that's, that's the first thing. You, you're, the leaders in your church, there shouldn't be people that come to say, oh man, this guy, he's not who he should be because he's not, you know, for instance, the next thing, the husband of one wife. Whoa, this guy's sketchy. And I've seen him going around with women that, that aren't his wife. Well, what's, what's he doing? Or sober-minded, self-controlled, right? Man, I've, I've played basketball with that guy and he was angry and cursing out people and he's a leader at your church? What, what's up with that? They're hospitable, they're not a drunkard, right? But then there's these positive things. They're hospitable, they're able to teach, they're gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. It focuses on their character. And, and then we see that same with the deacons. Deacons must be dignified. That describes 
really their character and how it affects their actions. Their actions reflect a dignified character. They're not double-tongued. They're not addicted to much wine. They're not greedy for dishonest gain. It's really describing their character. You need godly character if you are going to influence other people. And if you get into chapter 4, you start seeing we can't ignore from 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy the importance of right doctrine. That, that's an essential element too, but you see a lot of um, emphasis on what, what, what kind of person are you. Even if you go back to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, he says, hey, the goal of all this, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The goal, yes, it involves don't believe these false doctrines. Don't get into these myths and speculations. But the goal of that isn't just so that you'll know something, but that you will be something. That is the goal even of right doctrine. So let's look at one verse that maybe will give us some helpful categories to think through. Uh, let's look at 1 Timothy 4.12. 1 Timothy 4, 12. It says, let no one despise you for your youth. And that part, you know, might be a little more unique from Paul to Timothy. It seems that Timothy was was a young man. uh, And some people might have looked down on him for that. And Paul says, hey, don't, don't worry about that. Don't let that happen. But this next part, I think, is something that very much should be an aspiration for all of us. But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Hey, be an example of those things. So let's just walk through those five things. And that's where I want to encourage you to really, for this part, examine yourself. The goal is, hey, we're all encouraging other people. You're all spiritual leaders. But we got to start with, well, who are you? What kind of person are you? And so let's think through those five things. Let's start with speech. Think about your speech. And the Bible gives us many things that are kinds of speech that should not characterize a Christian at all. And then therefore definitely should not characterize a leader. You think through even the things described in Colossians chapter 3. I mean, it even just uh, talking about foul language. And even though somehow, I, I honestly don't get this. I just, I can't wrap my mind around it. Somehow over the last couple decades, it's become kind of cool for the pastor to kind of be edgy with his language. And it's okay for uh, pastors to curse every once in a while. I don't get that. I don't get how you get there from reading the Bible, right? But somehow that's become okay, right? Or for Christians in general. No, the Bible makes it clear that's not okay. Using crude language that even our culture knows is crude. Our culture will warn you that this kind of language is used in this movie before you even watch it, right? Why should Christians be using that? Why should Christians let their speech be dominated by phrases that are uh, really crudely trying to describe something that belongs in the bathroom or the bedroom, right? That, that should not be the way that Christians talk. 
And if that's how you're talking, don't expect other people to look at you and say, oh yeah, that's the person I want to follow to be more like Jesus. Also, scripture warns us against gossip. You know, that salacious rumor that, oh, have you heard about so-and-so? And there's ways that even thrives in the church under the guise of, well, I just care about other people. Okay, well, if you're talking about somebody else to somebody else, right? That's not your place. It's not your place to, you know, well, I'm bearing their burden, so I'm just going to share their burden with this person. No, no, that's not your place. We are not to spread gossip, spread rumors, make sure everyone is in the know about everyone. Another sinful way we use our speech is anger, right? When anger leads to uh, just speech that is out of control and full of wrath or often that in that anger that leads to that foul language or whatever it may be or, or saying things that uh, just aren't fair or overly critical to someone else, right? Colossians 3, you know, put away anger. And even you saw that in uh, chapter 3, right? The, the, the leader of the church is to be gentle, not quarrelsome, right? We, we shouldn't be quick to be angry, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Or another kind of speech we're told to put off is lying, lying. Lying has no place in the life of a Christian or of a leader. So just think, if somebody hung out with you all the time, what would they see? What would they hear, I should say? What would they hear? Would they hear foul language, gossip, anger, lies? Then guess what? You will not be an effective spiritual leader. You won't. Because your speech is working against you. Ephesians 4, 29 says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear, right? Instead, we should put away all these things, but our, our speech should be gracious. Proverbs like apples of gold and setting of silver is that, you know, that right word. Uh, harsh words stir up, anger, but a gentle answer turns away wrath. Is that what you are characterized? That gentle answer that de-escalates things? Are you saying encouraging things that lead people up? Are you the one that's bringing, you know, even just another thing that, you know, that's the opposite of anger or some of this foul language. The Bible often says, instead of those things, let there be thanksgiving. Another speech to avoid is complaining. I mean, how easy is it to complain? So easy. But instead, if your speech is known with being seasoned with gratitude and thankfulness and reminder that what comes out of your mouth reflects what's in your heart, right? So that even your speech is revealing who you are. I'm an angry, frustrated person or man, I am a thankful, grateful person. Your speech will reveal who you are. The next way he is told to be an example is in conduct, in conduct. And this is where, you know, we, we kind of looked at it earlier, but you, you want to know, well, what does that conduct look like? Read the lists for the overseer and for the deacon. 
above reproach, husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. And then you get a sense of he's not puffed up with conceit. And then verse 8 starts the deacon, dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. So all, all these things should be your conduct. And that's where, I mean, just a good reality check for all of you. People observe a lot more than they hear. And one way I've seen that reinforced now in all my years of full-time ministry is just in homes, right? And looking at kids, especially spending a lot of years with youth and students. And what I see is, hey, these kids, as they've grown up, they've seen a lot more. And that's having an impact than just what they've heard. Because if they were growing up with families in our church, I knew they were hearing the right thing. But many times what they were seeing is what caused problems. Because a lot of them, they would hear their parents go on and on about the Bible and church and maybe all these social issues and cultural issues. But then they would look at their parents and see, uh, not violent but gentle, that's not what I'm seeing. Not a drunkard, that's not what I'm seeing. I'm seeing anger, I'm seeing foul language, I'm seeing bitterness, I'm seeing complaining. I'm observing all these things in my parents, even though they're talking some way else, that, that really doesn't help young people in the church. But I'm saying that's going to apply to all of you too. You want to lead someone spiritually? Well, if they don't see you living it out, they're not going to care what you say. And that's, that's an important thing for all of us to realize that the next thing it says is in love. Set an example in love. And like I said, we talked about this. This is the idea of caring for others. And we'll spend a whole session trying to talk about love uh, tomorrow morning. Uh, but this is essential. You have to care about other people. And just to be clear, we'll be brief on this point, but spiritual leadership has zero to do with bossing people around. If that's why you're here, I want to be a spiritual leader. So I can go tell other people all the stuff they need to do, right? You signed up for the wrong class, right? That ain't it. Spiritual leadership is really going to start with love, caring for other people. And if you want to know what that looks like, read the book of 2 Corinthians. I am glad that I am not the pastor of the Corinthian church. It sounds like a headache and a half, right? I mean, there were so many problems. But Paul, he writes to them again. He shows his love for them. He says things to them like, my heart is wide open to you. Even though they were believing false rumors about him, they were saying untrue, unfair things about him. He says, I love you guys. And my heart's wide open. That's more with spiritual leadership. If you think this is, hey, this is where I get to go tell people what to do. I like that. No, that's not it. This is more like, hey, this is where people will stab you in the back. People will criticize you. People will say untrue, unfair things about you and you will love them anyways. That's what this is about, okay? And if, if you think anything else, hey, let's be right up front about that and we'll get to more of that 
tomorrow. But even that love leads to a lot of the things we've seen, that gentleness. I'm not quick to get in an argument. The next thing it says is in faith, in faith. And I hope if you've been coming or if you've been listening to me preach for any length of time, I hope that's something that sticks out to you, something that comes across how faith is just such a core component of the Christian life, not just of salvation, although it obviously is. But it's not just that we're saved by faith. The righteous will live by faith. That is a defining feature, a core motive of the Christian life. And you will need that as you seek to influence others. Because guess what? It's hard. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be opposition. There's going to be all those things I talked about. Unfair criticism, false accusations, all of these things. What in the world is going to keep you going? Faith will. I believe God. And even the, the, the deeper you get into ministry, like the harder this gets. There was an old friend of mine that he was a pastor and he got, but he, he didn't get saved till he was grown up. And he was like, man, I, 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 you know, I never went to church really in my life, got saved as an adult, went to church and found out all those stereotypes I'd, I'd heard about Christians. None of them were true. And then I started working in ministry. And I found out all those stereotypes about Christians, they actually are true, right? Because the deeper you get into ministry, the more drama, the more, uh, just all the unpleasant things that you experience. I just want to be upfront. You know, a lot of this sounds, oh man, Ephesians 4, every part's working together. It's messy, guys. It's messy. What will keep you going? Why does Paul still care at all about the Corinthians? Because he has a faith in God. Really, I think it comes down to, I believe God is that great that I don't care how hard it is. I don't care how much pushback I get or how many times I get dragged through the mud. God is that great. So I'm going to keep going because if I get to share with one person, the greatness of God, that's worth it. And, and the gospel really is that glorious, right? That the good news of Jesus Christ is worth investing and getting hurt and, and, and pouring myself out for others. Because seeing people embrace the gospel and then learn to live that out, that's worth it. That's worth all the pain, all the drama, you know, all the nonsense you'd have to put up with. But you won't have that without faith. And I think a big part of even just growth in the Christian life is believing, hey, God really is good. And his steadfast love really endures forever. And you can wake up tomorrow and believe that whatever trial comes up in life or whatever hardship comes up in leadership, steadfast love of the Lord is still going to be there. I believe God and I'll do what he says. And then the final way there is purity. Purity. And really this is the idea of chastity, of sexual purity. And it's unfortunate I mean, every place I have ever served in ministry, I've seen somebody get disqualified from ministry because of sexual sin. Every place. And if you think of people you've seen get disqualified from ministry, that's probably the number one reason. And here, biblically, the standard is high. It's not just the lack of infidelity but the presence of purity. 
Not only am I not going out and, and, and doing forbidden sexual acts, I'm not watching what is impure. I'm not thinking about what is impure, right? That's not what I want. I want purity in my life. And I think this is a key element of if we're really going to do spiritual leadership, this is important. Because what is probably one of the most struggled with sins, but as far as in personal relationships, least talked about sins in the church, it's impurity. We all know that it's a problem. But how many people are actually, when they get together for coffee or for lunch, are saying, hey, so what's the battle for purity looking like in your life right now? We need a lot more of that amongst Christians today. Because even now with internet pornography and just our culture, right? Sexual immorality is just everywhere. It's like seeped into every crevice of our culture. And that's where with Christians, we, we know that's wrong. But that's where, well, if I'm struggling with it, well, I know it's wrong, so I don't want to talk about it. And if you're going to be a leader, part of being a leader is going to be engaging with others and honestly bringing that topic up and asking about them or asking about what that's like for them. Well, how likely are you to do that if you know you've got impurity in your life? Not very likely. You would be much more content to avoid that topic. But when you're walking in purity, and you're even seeing, man, that the freedom and the blessing that comes from walking in, pure, in purity, you'll have that urgency, man, I want other people to know that. And even though it might be awkward, I'm willing to broach the subject. But that's where you, you will not be able to even broach the subject, likely, if you're not walking in purity. So, as you think through these things, one place I just really want you to think about and even that we see for the overseers, for the deacons, is what's going on at your home? What's going on at your home? Speech, conduct, love, faith, purity. If I had cameras set up at your house and, and your friends could watch at home, would they see these things? Because it's one, I mean, it's a lot easier to show up to church and put on a good show with these things than it is to actually be at home, especially with your spouse or with your kids, and to live those things out. And so that's where, I mean, hopefully as you show hospitality, people get to know you, they will get a glimpse into your home. But that's where most people, they're not going to come and live with you. Your home will be something that not everyone fully gets to see, but God sees it and God knows. And that is a good test of, hey, your character will show itself at home. Are these the things that are being seen? So we'll take a break here in a minute. Uh, Any questions on either of these first two topics from you guys? Going once, going twice, sold. All right.